Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. We are in our fourth and final week of our series on remembering God's faithfulness when he seems silent uh, in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, This week, I came across a story of missionary Alan Gardiner, who exemplified, I think, what we've been looking at in Habakkuk. I believe this story of his life will inspire you and encourage you. On December 17, 1850, Captain Alan Gardiner and his six companions endured a long trip from England, landing at Patagonia on the southern tip of South America. They came to bring the gospel to people who were so primitive that evolutionists Charles Darwin said they existed in a lower state than in any other part of the world. These natives were fierce cannibals, and the land and weather were treacherous to where they were going, especially imagine traveling in 1850. The team brought six months' worth of supplies, so they knew they could get there. They had six months' worth of supplies that would get them through, and then England had promised to send another ship with another six months of supplies to follow. After leaving England, Gardner wrote in his journal, Nothing can exceed the cheerful endurance and unanimity of the whole party. I feel that the Lord is with us and cannot doubt that he will own and bless the work he permitted us to begin. Unfortunately, things started to go wrong. Things started to go south. Unbeknownst to Gardner, they couldn't find anyone who would actually take the ship with the six months of supplies. Nobody wanted to go on this essentially this death mission. They just knew it was so dangerous. They couldn't find anyone who was willing to do that unbeknownst to them. So they're living as if six months in, we're going to get more supplies, we'll be able to last another six months. So the missionaries continued to carry out their work with no knowledge that supplies were not on their way. And on the very frigid tip of South America, I've been to South America a lot, as you know, Andreas from Argentina, never made it to Patagonia, but on that side, it's opposite, where she's from, it's really, really hot, it's really, really cold, and there's penguins, and it's ice and snowy and beautiful to look at. So it's very, very cold where they were working. Well, the ship of full of supplies is never waiting on never arrived. They find themselves alone in a hostile environment. Without food or supplies, hunger and death stalked them like hungry wolves. It was inevitable. And slowly, one by one, they started to die. And by the time the relief ship actually did arrive, eventually it got there in October 1851, almost one year after they had arrived there, they were all dead. They had all died of starvation, loneliness freezing to death. Well, this rescue mission, once they got there, they they were finding, of course, their bodies, and uh, they found the body of Gardner lying beside a boat. He was clothed in three suits with wool stockings over his arms to ward off the numbing cold. It's hard to imagine those last days and and moments of what he went through. Seemingly what what most would say is a failed mission. They they set out to, to go this is what they were going to do, and they had built it where they had six months of supply and another six months of supply, and probably going to plan from there. And so someone looked at it and go, failed mission. It, it didn't happen, and they all died as a result. So what had the English missionary thought during those last four fine days? I can imagine he went with this ump and this calling and this passion and this, where you're going to go, and God's calling us to do this, to, to this mission. But I wonder what his last thoughts were as he's realizing, I'm going to die here because all of my colleagues have died and now I will die as well. 
Had this terrible ordeal destroyed his faith? Had it kind of sunk him where he questioned and doubted God and, and maybe even said, you know what, this isn't real? Were his dying days filled with nothing but disillusionment and despair over where he had found himself? Well, the men of the relief ship found his journal, and they were amazed at one of the last entries. The gardener said, poor and weak as we are, our boat is the very Bethel, which means house of God, to our soul. For we feel and we know that God is here. Asleep or awake, I am beyond the power of expression, happy. What a horrific way to die. You know, I think if, probably like most people, when people say, how would you die if you could choose to die? I'm like, I'd fall asleep and I'd sleep really good that night. And I just, I would never wake up on this side of heaven, right? Like that's the way I would choose to go. But I would never choose being lonely and freezing to death and starving to be the way that I die. But did you catch what he said in his journal as he was dying? He said, I feel and know that God is here. Asleep or awake, I am beyond the power of expression, happy. As I was preparing this week, I literally wrote this in my manuscript. What? <laughs> you're, you're happy? You're beyond happiness that you can't express and you're dying moments? Now today, what do most of us do? We in fear and fear God's goodness. When good things are happening, when life is going well, when we, when we get the promotion at work, when we, the kids are behaving, when we got the house that we want and all, the, all these things, right? we're like, man, God is good all the time, right? And, and you're looking around. But then a lot of times we'll flip it when things aren't going good, when there's a sickness that hits our family, when we can't pay the bills, when we lose our job, when our kids are rebelling. And, and, and frankly, we struggle to see the goodness of God because we feel like God owes us some level of goodness that he was giving us at one point and now he's taking it away. And we find ourselves complaining and questioning God. Gardner had none of those good things that we have that we take for granted on a daily basis. His story really inspired me this week. Like I came across, I'd never heard of this guy. He's probably not a very known missionary. Once again, his, his mission seemingly failed. But as I came across this story, I just found myself inspired. I was like texting Andrea because he had gone to the area of Argentina where she's from. I was like, you ever heard of this guy? Like his story is inspiring. Like look, look at look, look at what they, they were going for. But he didn't have any of the good things you and I take for granted. Yet his in Evel of Death Mission, we find him overwhelmed by the goodness and glory of God. Just let that sink in, whatever is going on in your life. That he's finding himself overwhelmed by the goodness and glory of God. As we conclude our study in Habakkuk, we will discover that the prophet has come a long way. And through his final prayer, we see just how much he has been transformed. So open your Bibles if you have a copy, physical copy of Scripture to Habakkuk chapter 3. In this final chapter, Habakkuk is going to ask God for a new demonstration of his wrath and his mercy. Remember how he, how he started this, this book for us. One that God had demonstrated so powerfully in the past. He's reflecting, saying, God, I've seen your goodness. I've seen how you back to the past. I'm asking you to do it again. And he's going to close this out with a confession and faith and trust in God. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, God, just as, as we sing the words you give and take away, but blessed be your name. God, my prayer this morning is that can actually be the, the posture and prayer of our heart, God. That it wouldn't just be words that we sing. Because, God, when you sing those words, if, if you actually mean that, that's a, that's a challenge to us. 
God, it's easy to bless your name and to worship and glorify you when things are going good and you're seemingly pouring blessings on us. But God, if we're honest, the cry of our heart is sometimes it's, it's more difficult. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's, we're not in that place when we don't see things going well, when life is challenging, when the world around us seems like it's in chaos and just completely falling apart. But God, may this morning, may your word speak to us and may we leave this room today, regardless how we came in, saying, blessed be your name because you are good and you are faithful in the good times and the bad. It's in your name and your word. Amen. Point number one this morning is Habakkuk's prayerful response. So he starts out in verse one. He says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. So simply this is the prayer of Habakkuk's heart, what he's going to to, uh, give to us here. It's specifically referring to a prayer of supplication according to Shigianath. Now, who in the world is that? That is simply means a prayer of lament. And so he's lamenting here. But it's, it's actually, as I study, it looks like it's meant to be sung corporately. So Ben, when we finish this morning, will you lead us in a time of shigianoff as we finish out our time this morning? What if we call it that? Instead of like, let's finish in worship, like let's finish in, in this. So Habakkuk's lamenting. He's calling on us to cry out to God. And he begins his prayer in verse 2. It says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And so the prophet confesses that he has heard about the Lord, but now he stands in awe of the works of the Lord. He basically says, Lord, I heard, Lord, but now I see. It's one thing to hear something but quite a different one to actually see it, isn't it? Like to actually have a level of understanding. I would argue that you hear from God's word every single week when you come and we gather. It's central to what we do. Why? Because we want to hear from God. But that doesn't mean that you always see it and that you always have a level of understanding to see it, which is one reason we discuss our messages oftentimes further on Wednesday nights. But he's saying, God, I I see it, but now I understand it. Habakkuk's had a challenging dialogue with God, has he not? I mean, one of the most challenging, raw, relatable dialogues I have come across in all of Scripture. But as a result of his wrestling, which we kind of encourage, right? Like he simultaneously had faith and he simultaneously wrestled with God. But as a result of his wrestling, God has now given him a deeper understanding and knowledge of his ways. Like I would say that is a, that is a, a win. And as a result, the prophet has been changed by his encounter with the Lord. He has grown in maturity in the faith as a result. So he asked the Lord, he says, Lord, revive your work. Like, I know it's yours. I want you to revive it. He asked the Lord to reveal it to his people. Make us see what we can't see. And that would even be our prayer today. Like, God, help us see the things that we can't see. God, help us see how you're moving and working in the city of Portland that most have written off. Help us see the things that we don't see. And he asked the Lord to remember his mercy through it all. God, know you're merciful. Remember your mercy and how you have always acted. And so what he learns about God actually leaves him in awe and in worship. That should always be the response of God's revelation. When we, when, we, when we kind of have this new understanding where God reveals something to us, that we worship God in gratefulness and thankfulness. And this is what he's doing, and he's singing this prayer to God. And so Habakkuk reviews God's acts in the past. He kind of rewinds the tape and says, I know how you've acted. I've seen how you've acted. He reflects specifically on the Exodus when God delivered his people. 
Now, Habakkuk had a lot to review as a prophet of God. He had, he had a lot to remember and a lot to reflect on, which led him to worship. And you might say, but this is a prophet of God. Of course he did. But how much more do you and I have to review, remember, and reflect? Habakkuk's in the Old Testament. <laughs> He's a few books before Matthew opens the New Testament. Right? We have the entirety of Scripture that we can look at. So the entirety of God's Word, which is living, it's infallible, it's inerrant, we, so my encouragement is to read it, abide in it, cherish it. But we have even a much better act to remember that, that we learn about in this book, the act that literally changed history in the course of the human race in the cross of Christ. So in our bad days, in our moments where we can't see it and we're struggling, we can go back there and remind me, God, remind me of your goodness. Show me where you have been good. And we see it in the ultimate culmination of, of Christ's um, Life is death as resurrection. So when you find yourself forgetting, when you find yourself questioning, when you find yourself doubting, when you find yourself deconstructing, when you find yourself struggling, remember. Remember. Remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so Habakkuk models one for us who remembers God's past grace in the middle of one's present crisis. So if you find yourself in a crisis and you find yourself questioning, you find yourself uncertain, remember. And sometimes it literally takes the act of stopping to reflect instead of trying to have a solution or figure out the answer right away. Point number two, Habakkuk remembers the goodness of God. This is a long, a lengthy section I'm going to read here. But God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. So he starts this section with description of God's power and glory, and then he continues in verse 7. Ellie, next slide. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and rithered. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshold the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trample the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. So Habakkuk uses these examples of the rivers and the seas of God's power. And he recalls a story from Joshua where the sun and the moon actually stood still. Like time literally stopped. And so he's recalling all these things that God has done. In other words, what he's doing is he's reflecting and reminding himself of the goodness of God in spite of his present situation. And so that's what we need to be able to do ourselves. 
in spite of your present situation, in spite of your current struggles or questioning and doubting any of those things, reflect and remind yourself of God's goodness. And so we do it the same way today that Habakkuk did then. We stop and we reflect. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night, but just this idea of literally stopping. Most of us as Americans aren't good at stopping. We're always moving on to the next thing, right? We're going to finish here today, and some of us are going to break down, and some of us are going to leave, and all of us are going to end up somewhere for lunch, and then we're going to go on to probably go to a park or maybe a hike, and then maybe this evening you watch TV, and then you take a shower, and you're ready for the next day, you get on and on and on, right? Check some social media in between, maybe do a couple work emails, even though it's the weekend. We're bad at stopping. Sometimes we just need to stop. And maybe for you, that's stopping like outside. Like, it is beautiful. And maybe it's, it's you don't have to be weird about it at a park over in Portland. Any, anything goes. Be weird. Um, but stop and maybe just close your eyes. Maybe extend your hands out. Maybe maybe not. And just, just say, God, help me see your goodness because I'm really struggling to see it right now. And God will reveal those things to you. This, this is a habit I would encourage you to try to get in daily at some point. Just stop and reflect. God, where did I see your goodness yesterday? Because it's easy to see uh, where, where God's, where you feel like he's not working. It's easy to see the bad stuff that's happening. Right? You have that friend in your life, which is like the Debbie Downer, is maybe what we call her. And, and anytime you talk to us, like everything's negative, everything's bad. We all have those things. But have you ever stopped and said, but I want to reflect on your goodness. I know that bad things exist. I know that the world's not as it should be. But I want to stop and reflect on your goodness. <clears throat> and so Habakkuk recalls six declarations of the Lord's victorious powers over his enemies in verses 12 to 15. I'm just going to hit, hit those again. It says, you march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked. You pierce his head with his own spears. You trend the sea with your horses. And so we see that the Lord's wrath is directed against the nations that oppressed his people. And so in the case of Habakkuk, it may seem like a long time coming, but God will act on behalf of his people with great power and victory. And so Habakkuk reflects, he's reminded the goodness of God in spite of his present situation, and this causes him to rejoice. So once again, we can dwell on the negative. We can be really, really down. But as he reflects and he's reminded, he just, you just kind of see your spirit lift up. You know? this, this isn't some like, let me just think good thoughts. It's like actually reflecting where God is moving and working. And so point number three, Habakkuk waits on the Lord. Look at verses 16 through 19. It says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. If you remember back to chapter 2, verse 1, just a couple of weeks ago, Habakkuk had laid out his complaint before God, and then we found him waiting on the Lord to answer. And we kind of said, we don't know if his posture was like this or if it was like this, but he basically said, God, I'm going to lay it all out there. I'll put all my cards on the table and be completely transparent with you because God can handle that. And this is God, now I'm going to wait. So here we find him again, chapter three, and he's waiting. This time he's waiting for the fulfillment of that answer in the future. Now, waiting on the Lord is not easy. So I'm not here to say, guys, wait on the Lord. It's easy to do because we're all probably waiting on something right now. Something that might be really important and big in your life. Maybe something seems small and insignificant, but we're all waiting Waiting on the Lord is not easy because only the Lord knows exactly how long he will take to fulfill his promise. Right? Like God's got that full advantage. God sees the full picture. But he finds himself waiting. And it's in the waiting where our faith in God is tested the most. 
Can I wait this out? Can I put my trust in God in the midst of my waiting? And so we must ask ourselves, do I trust God no matter how long it takes? Am I willing to persevere in faith to the end? Do I still trust God even if the fulfillment of his promise doesn't happen in my lifetime? And so the prophet Habakkuk has resolved in his heart that he will trust the Lord whatever happens. Have you resolved that in your heart? God, I will trust you no matter what happens in this life. I will trust you. Well-known pastor, author, speaker, Tony Evans, lost his wife back in the uh, end of 2019. And her, her family held a celebration of her life and her legacy, which her son, Jonathan, delivered a sermon eulogizing his mother. And I feel like it was a very modern, um, great example of what this looks like to, to wrestle with God. And so he's wrestling with God over the death of his mom who died of uh, cancer. And so we actually have a video that we're going to attempt to show. If it, if it doesn't work, then uh, I'll come back up, but we'll, we'll see if this works for us. few days, I was wrestling with God because I said, well, if we have victory in your name, didn't you hear us when we were praying? Didn't you see the people who are walking around my mom and dad's house like Jericho trying to make sure that they can knock down the walls of this cancer? Didn't you hear the prayers of, 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 of Bishop T.D. Jakes and Brian Carter and Antioch and Friendship West and Gateway in the village? Didn't you hear all of those prayers? Didn't you hear us? Where are you? Why didn't you do what we were asking of you? Because your word says that if we abide in you and, and your word abides in us, then we could ask whatever we will and it will be given to us. Your word tells us that, that, that if we ask according to your will, that you hear us. Your word is, is, is telling us that in Mark 11, if you pray believing, you will receive. To be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, make your request known. Where are you? I was wrestling with God the last few days. Because this was a great opportunity that we can tangibly see your glory. Everybody was praying, not only in Dallas, but around the country and around the world. People were watching. Where are you? This was an opportunity for us to see your glory. And as I was wrestling with God, he answered. And he said, number one, you don't understand the nature of my victory. Because just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway. Because victory was already given to your mom. You don't understand because of the victory that I have given you. There was always only two answers to your prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of or she was going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me. Because of what I've already done for you. 
the two answers to your prayer are yes and yes. Because victory belongs to Jesus. Then he said to me, You need to understand that I am God and that I am sovereign and my game plan is bigger than any one player on my field. So you need to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on you, but lean on me because I have the ability to make this crooked situation straight. I am the sovereign God. That's why they say that I am that I am. As high as the heavens are above the earth are my ways from your ways and my thoughts from your thoughts. We don't think the same. P.S. Don't tell me how to get my glory. Finally, he just let me know. I appreciate your prayers and your trust in me. But the way that you're coming at me right now is with a sense of entitlement, like I owe you something. You can't tell me what I'm supposed to do. I'm God. You can't say, well, it should have been this way. You can't tell me, well, as much as she served you, you should have done it this way. As much as my dad has done in ministry and as much as we have done in ministry and how faithful this family is, it should be this way. Don't come to me with that entitlement. Because without my victory and what I have done, all of you would be on the doorsteps of hell. I don't owe you anything. You owe me everything. And I know that it was hard for you to sit there and watch your mom die, but don't let that belittle the fact of how hard it was for me to watch my son die so she can live. So back up off me with your entitlement. There was always two answers to your question. Yes and yes. Because of my grace being sufficient. Thank you, Lord. couldn't come across a better example uh, this week. So now you know what I spent my weeks doing, looking for missionary stories and videos like that. I mean, that, that itself could have been the sermon this morning. It's very, very powerful as you look at that. Um, a couple things I grabbed out of that. Just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway. By the way, I, when I make a good point, I want you guys to start standing up. Like, you know, the video. <laughs> we need to work on a few things here. And he says, there were always two answers to your question, yes and yes, because of my grace being sufficient. 
Andrea and I were talking about this yesterday. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for healing, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure we all have family members, and we've got, Ben's got an aunt we've been praying for. It doesn't mean we don't pray for healing, especially if they're in Christ, that we know that there's only two answers. Either, yes, he's going to heal here in this life, and, and the cancer will go away, or yes, he's going to heal, and, and, and she'll be completely healed of any sickness in, in that life. And so just a great, great example. And so what an example of questioning God wrestling with God and then God responding as a reminder of his ever-present goodness, truth, grace, and mercy in our lives as he always answers according to his will. Point number four, Habakkuk rejoices in the Lord. Look at verse 17 and 18. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock will be cut off from the fold and there will be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Habakkuk has come a long way in his spiritual journey. He went from complaint in the opening chapter to now he's content. Not for the sake of contentment, but he's content in the Lord. He started this prophecy disturbed by all that he saw around him. But now after seeing his Savior come in splendor, he is deeply determined to trust in the Lord. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food. In other words, there is no produce. There's nothing to eat. Things are not going well. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, you would look at life and go, life is horrible. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Similar to Habakkuk, we all have a though. Not everyone has a yet. Because he said, though these things aren't happening, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And so some of us are carrying heavy burdens. And it may not be for all of us in the room, it may be some of us online, or it may be someone who listens to this later. But it could be, though I get a sickness, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I lost a family member, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though my spouse isn't to where I want them to be in our relationship and loving me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I can't have children, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I'm depressed, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I can't find a job, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though my kids are driving me nuts, amen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though my parents are driving me nuts, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. We all have a day, but do we have a yet? This is what it looks like to have faith as you remember God's faithfulness. Because the good news for all of us is that God is faithful even when we're not faithful. Amen? Amen. God's faithful even when we can't see it. When we're questioning and complaining and laying it all out there for him that God continues to be faithful. And this is believing and trusting the gospel is true, and it is even in the dark times, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Yeah, remember, Paul was writing these words from prison. Paul's not living his best life now up on a mansion in Hollywood somewhere overlooking the beautiful ocean. He's in prison saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Tony Marita, uh, pastor, says, Our rejoicing doesn't come from the comforts of this life, but from knowing our God is the God of salvation. 
So Habakkuk has learned through this process that he can trust God. Even in the darkness, and that trust gives rise to joy. A holy joy, a mysterious joy, a countercultural joy. I mean, think about that. As you're living life, right? The, the, the difference between your neighbor and, and everyone else in the city like, is that we put our trust and faith in something, someone, Jesus. We all have the struggles. So it's not like your neighbor, your coworker, like that you don't, you don't have the same struggles. So they might look at that and go, you see, you have the same struggles that I have. God can't be real. No. You go, yes, I have the same struggles as you, but you have this countercultural joy because my hope and faith is in God and God alone and that he's working in spite of my struggles, in spite of the challenges and, and what's happening in the world around me. This is the Christian life. And if you are suffering, you need more than just this reminder. So I don't anticipate you hear this reminder and go, you know what? Matt's right. God's word. You need more than this. And so my prayer for us, my prayer for you, is that God will work in your life today. That as you're, if you're complaining, if you're struggling, if you're where Habakkuk was when he opened this and saying, God, I don't see it. Help me see that God will reveal himself to you. As Habakkuk has learned to trust God and he has found strength in God. Finally, verse 19, he says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. I want us to catch this here at the very end. We'll, we'll finish up. God never promises Habakkuk it would be easy or get easier. He never does. In fact, if you've been paying attention, he tells him it is actually about to get worse. How's that for a response? God, I don't see you working. God, it's horrible. I'm going to wait. What are you going to do? And God's like, hey, actually, it's going to get worse. Trust me. But through it all, you can still find joy. And through it all, you can find strength in God to get through it. The prophecy of Habakkuk is probably one of the most challenging and engaging prophecies in the Bible. Yet for Christians who dare to take the challenge, the spiritual wars can be immense. So it's almost like a challenge to, to follow this pattern of Habakkuk here. Habakkuk struggled at first to understand God's ways. God, I know that you're this, but I don't see it. You're not lining up with what I know about you. But it would come to a point of what I call total surrender after receiving the word of God and a vision from God. So Habakkuk's journey is really a journey of every single Christ follower who seeks to have more than just a a simplistic knowledge of God and a superficial faith in God, but one who wants to really all surrender, give it to God. So where do we go from here? Like, how do we apply this to our lives? First, we live by faith. Live by faith in God who's been active in the past, he's active in the present, and he's going to be active in the future. Like we said, I think the first week that the Christian life is faith from beginning to end. Like, it's all faith. You don't just start with faith and graduate beyond that. You continue to have faith. And so God is telling Habakkuk, and he's telling us, trust me as you live and walk by. Second, we find our joy in God, not in our circumstances. Rejoice always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This means whether things are good, which we all love those times, or whether things are bad, regardless, our joy is not found in our circumstances. Our joy is found in Christ and Christ alone because he gives and takes away, but blessed be his name. Amen? So this morning I'm going to pray. Here's how we'll respond. We're going to respond through surrender. We're giving our all to God, and then we're going to rejoice in his goodness. That Ben's going to lead us in that rejoicing through song. God, we love you. We thank you for your reminder of your word. God, this is why we study your word, because you have spoken to us. 
God, you spoke to us through the prophet Habakkuk. God, just even myself, not realizing how just relatable this is to us in 2022, especially over the last just couple of years, as we can easily dwell on all the negative and all the bad that's taken place in our world, our nation, and our city. But God, then actually stopping and realizing that we can go to you with our raw honesty, with our complaints, with our prayers, with our crying out to you. And God, so in some ways, that, that's been what the series is about. Us saying, God, we don't always see where you're working. God, we don't get it. But then God, stopping and waiting on you. God, thank you for the reminder that we don't see the full picture, but you do. Thank you for the reminder that we can continue to trust in you. And so, God, my prayer is that as all of us are on this journey of learning what it means to follow you, as all of us are on this journey of going through the struggles of life, God, that we can find our place, our, our, ourselves in a place of total surrender to you. God, that our joy wouldn't be found in the circumstances around us. Our joy wouldn't be found in a relationship or a position or our, our finances, our retirement. God, our joy is found in you and you alone. God, I was reminded that you paid the ultimate sacrifice. You sent your son to live and walk on this earth. God, this earth that had rebelled against you. God, that he lived this perfect life. And that his, his life went on this earth, God, the, the destiny was already determined for him that he would go to the cross. God, a symbol of execution for punishment that we all deserve, but instead you sent Jesus who took on the pain, the suffering, the brokenness of our lives and of our world. And God, as a result, that we can have a restored, redeemed relationship with you. So God, we thank you for that. May we be reminded of that above all. God, as we do walk through the challenges and struggles of this life, that you would help us see that we can rejoice in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.